Welcome to Ann Arbor Spark's CEO Podcast, Conversations on Economic Opportunity. My name is Paul Kretko, and I'm the President and CEO of Ann Arbor Spark. Ann Arbor Spark is a public-private partnership of business, government, and academic institutions working to advance the economy of the Ann Arbor region. Welcome to our series of conversations with key leaders from those sectors. Today, I'm with Scott Andis of the Brookings Institute. He's here in Ann Arbor participating in Ann Arbor Sparks Regional Economic Forum, and the really the main reason he's here for the North American International Association of Science Parks and Areas of Innovation meeting. So welcome to Ann Arbor. Thanks. Happy to join you. Have, have you been in Ann Arbor in southeast Michigan as a part of your work in the past? Uh, uh, not as a part of my work. I've been here before, oh, yeah? but for, you know, looking at schools looking and that schools, kind of thing. Looking yep. at schools, yeah. Well, so, so you know, we were excited to have you here because um, one of the things that, that we're tracking is the Brookings Institution's work in studying what is uh, some people find to be a new phenomena uh, or, or something that's been going on that now there's so much of it, it is becoming something that economic development professionals in particular are paying attention to. And this is this concept of areas of innovation or innovation districts. So I know you're working on that. Tell us a little bit about that work and some of the things that you've been able to discover. Sure, happy to. I think the the sort of genesis of this work is is our beginning to realize that the geography of innovation has really shifted in the United States and in, in Western Europe and in some other parts of the world where two decades ago innovation really was a suburban activity and highly privatized essentially in, in research parks and uh, around corporate campuses. But over the last decade, this has shifted for a number of reasons into the midtowns and downtowns of medium and larger sized cities, uh, predominantly for a number of reasons, which I'm happy to get into. Yeah, go ahead. Well, what well, are some of those reasons? Yeah, so I think there's, there's, there's three major reasons. One is there's been a transition in, in how technology is generated and, and developed for the marketplace. And by this, I mean, if you look at most of the post-war decades up until about the 1980s, you had major companies that were uh, defining product lines. So think of AT&T and Bell Labs creating the semiconductor industry, right? Dow Chemical and other, t- and this GE. GE. They, they created entire platforms where industries uh, emerged from. And what that meant was uh, if you're defining an entire new industry and you're doing lots of research around it and you're the only player, uh, secrecy and making sure you get to market first is really important. That's shifted now. Even our mega sort of uh, international companies like Google and others, even they don't un- own these product categories anymore, search or whatever the case may be. So the, the, the need to sort of collaborate with other companies has become more important. And along with that, particularly industries like the life sciences and devices and advanced manufacturing, the ability to collaborate with universities and other entities has become uh, extremely important. So I guess the the bumper sticker is that collaboration has sort of taken taken over or or um, uh, taken over from where isolation and, mm-hmm. and sort of secrecy secrecy in the park used, exactly. And so and then the second piece of that is technology and markets are the first. The second piece of that is talent, mm-hmm. uh, to be sure. And 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 the reality is that talent is just interested in something different now. So. In, in the 1970s, over half of our families lived in nuclear families. That was right. one breadwinner, um, a spouse, and usually a, 
uh, on average, two children. And so this meant driving to a research park, doing your job, and coming home was, mm-hmm. a, was a fairly standard way in which um, American families operated. Today, that demographic has shifted significantly to about one-third of families, and you see the rise of both the baby boomer generation and uh, the millennial generation seeking access to their work and play and living situations in close proximity. All of this has kind of emerged into what we see as innovation districts, which are, you know, again, hubs where you can right. work, play, and live. Right. And it, interesting, I've uh, been involved in various organizations over time that have explored various dimensions of cities and urban problems. And I, I recall I was active in an organization called CEOs for Cities a while back. Mm-hmm. And they, and it hasn't changed, uh, they f- did one of the, sort of the first surveys that had this notion that um, 65% of college graduates were choosing where to live first as opposed to who to work for. And that's the Which dramatic is amazing. change, yeah, that's right? So, dramatic. so you know, my generation, the baby boomer generation, you started out with, well, where could I get a job and locate uh, in that location after you got the job? Where now the, the mentality is um, reverse. And what's even more interestingly is the companies have recognized that, and they're following the talent as opposed to the talent coming to them. They're going to the talent. Yeah, I mean, I, I do think that that yeah, we can't undersell the importance of of um, you know, the ability to get a job in a particular area no, no, no. and whatnot. And I think, I think that still drives a, a fairly sure, non-trivial sure. amount of decision-making. Yeah. But, but you're exactly right. I mean, that workers particularly, maybe exclusively, and there's some, there's some issues with that, but high-skilled workers have the ability to dictate to their employers where they want to be. And with a shortage in, in exactly. a lot of, of totally. talent. Yep. Right? So that's, that's really key, I think. So um, in terms of your um, uh, time here sort of in Southeast Michigan, which has been short but intense. That's right. Say. Um, it's been great. We, we kind of feel sort of in Ann Arbor that we are an example of that emerging model. And I guess my question to you is do you agree from what you've seen and, and what are some of your impressions of, of what you've seen so far? So obviously I, I don't know the answer to that question okay. after, you know, three yeah. days. But but here are the things that I, that I think are interesting. Um, one... I definitely think in our work and others' work, uh, there's been an uh, an un- college towns, quote unquote, are understudied. They're mm-hmm. they have critical and necessary assets. Obviously, an anchor institution. Um, they often have simply to meet their 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 student population's need a, a right blend of amenities mm-hmm. that are of interest. Um, and then they have a steady flow of, of capital and other things. So I, I think there's a, there's a new model of innovation districts that, that I really think Brookings and others needs to think about, which is how you look at smaller cities that have the research assets of larger cities. Mm-hmm. And Ann Arbor has that, clearly. When you look at U Michigan, if you look at you know the rankings that you guys did, yeah. the index, I mean, this is clear. Um, you, and our perspective is research is feedstock. Right, so mm-hmm. this is it's it's a necessary starting mm-hmm. position in the innovation economy. The question then becomes: Is innovation, from our perspective, and I and I think you know you would agree as as the head of Spark, is 
is it sort of a, a pipeline where you start with entrepreneurs that are maybe coming out of research and enterprises and or say you have faculty some of them will create businesses many won't mm -hmm. and then of the ones that create businesses some will find venture capital many will not and and on down the pipeline till you get to a point where you have major employers coming from these entrepreneurs and as this is a a, a winnowing process you need to start with a fairly wide aperture mm -hmm. at the get-go so the question for me around ann arbor is You've got the wide enough aperture for research, no doubt. Do you have it around entrepreneurs, be them mm -hmm. research entrepreneurs or others? And, and in most places, that seems like the binding constraint. Yeah. yeah, I think the thing that is important that I talk with leaders in our community about is the aspiration to have that kind of economy that you described often gets reflected against the examples they know best. So they'll, they'll talk about, oh, well, um, we'd like to be sort of like Silicon Valley. And um, the listeners uh, that I have on this podcast are probably tired of hearing about my Silicon Valley experience. But the, the thing that I always try to point out is Silicon Valley now is some 80 years in the making. Right. And so, um, you know, Bill Hewlett and David Packard started in 37, 38. Yep. Um, and the, the, the notion there is that you have to, to have that sort of serial entrepreneurial or that entrepreneurial class, you have to have a couple, maybe a generation of that kind of yep. activity. You have to have some people who have gone through the failures, had the successes, um, decided they, they just don't want to just rest on that I got acquired and want to get back in the game. And you get that kind of milieu that is happening. And I think, I think that's something that, that we're getting to. I think the main thing for us is the... Um, what you see in, in many of the innovation districts that you're studying is can you grow uh, some of your innovative companies to scale in your own community? I think the danger for college, smaller college communities is that uh, assets that you develop get acquired and get taken someplace else. And so that's what we have to be very diligent about and, and work to try to um, create the environment that they want to stay. Yeah, and, and I think I think traditional economic developers and certainly politicians don't don't understand that you will have those laws. If you yeah. have a if you've got a vibrant innovation mm -hmm. ecosystem, you should have companies leaving, mm -hmm. right? Now, the goal is to keep some of them, obviously. That's right. That's right. But but this idea, um, and frankly, and universities understand this quite well because their alumni mm -hmm. bases are right. global. Right. Um, but you will have companies leaving and finding venture capital in different areas. And But what you want to do is you want to identify what those reasons are and be fairly specific. Everybody thinks it's, they have capital constraints, but they could be other things. Yeah. It could be your management talent base. It could be um, exactly. deals aren't being syndicated to a certain degree. It could be there's no shortage of reasons. Yeah. And then start attacking those issues one by one. Um, the, the two things that I think we've seen – that are are um, positive for somewhere like Ann Arbor is one. Small places can do this, right? This you don't you don't need the scale that you may have needed a generation ago. We see mm -hmm. places like Boulder. We sure. see places um, around the country that are doing these types mm -hmm. of activities. And I do think that there's sort of a there's a movement towards a, sort of this lifestyle city. Right. Um, that is bringing entrepreneurs away from the valley mm -hmm. and away from Boston mm -hmm. and New York and some of these other areas. Uh, there are places like Eugene and others that right. are capturing that. Yeah. I mean, you're clearly a, yeah. a we've lifestyle. Had, we've had the, those opportunities where companies 
uh, I won't name them, but it will say something like, we need to be in the Valley, but we think we want to have uh, a substantive amount of our growth in your community. Right. Because there is this lifestyle issue of a housing affordability, the, what your commute is, uh, how far your money can go and all that. Well, we, we, we really appreciate you spending time with us. And sort of to close out, you mentioned a couple sort of concepts that you're seeing, some best practices that you're seeing or some communities that Brookings is studying. We know at our meeting that you were at, we talked about a little bit of a benchmarking exercise mm -hmm. that we did against 10 other communities around the United States. Some other, uh, some communities that Brookings was looking at that you do you think maybe are to look? There's a number of examples depending on what what you're you're really focused on. So, I mean, we can start with the sort of very ambiguous stuff around leadership and, and collaboration. So I'll give you an example. Chattanooga, it's a city that does not have a major research university. It does not have um, the assets that you have. It's perhaps similarly sized, but, but the one thing that it does have is it has a highly coordinated leadership class uh, that got together with the public utility, created uh, essentially one gigabit broadband connectivity for its residents and small businesses, and um, went to town on this. Yeah. They get you know published in the New York Times about this, and everyone's everyone's marching to the beat of the same drum. Uh, I, I went to Chattanooga about a year ago, and you know, in 20 hours, met the mayor and everyone else who was sort of running the mm -hmm. show, and everyone sort of agreed, um, and then parlayed that highly specific asset that that municipal broadband into something that really mattered. They signed a contract with Oak Ridge National Lab, $1.3 billion uh, research facility in East Tennessee, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Now, are they at the point where this is driving real employment growth? I don't know. But it is an example of a place that has, frankly, a lot less than you have. Mm -hmm. um, but because there's a coordinated effort, they're kind of getting things they're done. They're maximizing their potential. To right. Some That's yeah. exactly right. Yeah. Yep. I know you're spending a lot of time yeah, you talked a little bit about it with us in Oklahoma City. Yep. The, the, you, you're seeing some energy there. And I, I, that may sound pun-like because I think what they're focusing in is on some energy issues. But Yeah. yeah. Well, so, so that's a great example. Maybe let me take you know 60 to 90 seconds to talk about Oklahoma City. Where So here's a place that you, their main sort of innovation assets, at least in the traditional sense, are – uh, a health center, right? The University of Oklahoma's health campus is located in, in essentially downtown Oklahoma City. The main campus is, is in Norman, about uh, 10 to 15 miles away. However, the regional economy is based on energy, right? Oil and gas. And so we've worked with them to think about how you can find bridging technologies where you can build both of the sectors at the same time and then articulate yourself as a leader in those areas. And so one thing that they've done uh, that didn't require funding, it didn't require organizational structures, is they got five people around a table that were from the university, the some of the research facilities and the private companies to say, let's look at just, let's make a list of five technologies that intersect all of our major industries. Mm -hmm. So they, they came up with robotics, they came up with big data, they came up with um, imaging technologies and what's called fluid flow dynamics, doesn't matter, how you, how you push the liquid through either a rock right. or a body, right? And what they then did is they got a symposium together of 60 to 100 leaders and researchers and companies in these spaces from, from Tinker Air Force Base to uh, um, an FAA research facility to the university to companies in a wide variety of industries to talk about imaging technology. Mm -hmm. 
and they found amazing connective tissue in this one day amongst their region that that had been there for multiple decades and nobody knew was happening because yeah. they started with the technology. Mm-hmm. Uh, so anyway, this is a specific point of a general theme where I think places like Ann Arbor have a lot of resources that may not be connected. connected. And finding ways of getting at that yeah. could be really valuable. Well, that's super. Well, Scott, I really thank you for taking some time. This has been a busy agenda for you here the last couple of days. We really enjoyed meeting you and talking with you and learning more about what Brookings Uh, is doing in this area and look forward to working with with you in the future. Great. Thanks. And I want to thank our audience for listening and learning more about those leaders and organizations who are working hard to create the Ann Arbor region's economic future. These conversations are brought to you by Ann Arbor Spark. Ann Arbor Spark is a public-private partnership of business, government, and academic institutions working to advance the economy of the Ann Arbor region. For more information about Ann Arbor Spark, you could find us on the web at annarborusa.org, also on Facebook, Twitter, and LinkedIn.